the word I want to share to you this morning, I've, I've called it father to father. And uh, I, I realize it's, it's somewhat cliche uh, to talk about fathers and to, and to talk about Father God on Father's Day. Uh, but I think there's something profoundly significant uh, about this that, that we still don't really grasp as Christians. Or maybe we grasped it at a time, uh, but we become complacent with it. We become familiar with it. We, we, we lose the power of those words. Uh, we often use the term Father God. Uh, you know, we use it a lot when we pray. And in fact, some people, it's every second word. It's Father God, I want to thank you, Father God, that you, Father God. And it, and it, it, it comes up, it's become second nature. It's, a, it's, it's almost just a, uh, it's like um in our prayer words, right? It's become something that we just say. But there's something powerful about those words uh, and about the words Father God together uh, that I think we need to rediscover. Because those words would not have been lost on their original audience. You think about this. Jesus referred to God as his own father. And it nearly started a riot. Jesus referred to God as his own father and it nearly started a riot. John chapter 6, verse 17 to 18. But Jesus answered them. This is after Jesus is healed on a Sabbath. He's just done something and they're upset. Not because of what he did, but the day that he did it. And Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus referred to God as his own father, and the people lost their minds. The religious leaders lost their minds because this was not something you could do. If this statement was controversial, imagine the statement to the masses, to, to the disciples, to the crowds that gathered in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6. Jesus is giving a sermon on the mount. It's, it's perhaps his most famous sermon. And the end of, of Matthew chapter 4, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, tell us that he's preaching to a great multitude. Tell us that people came every day. Multitudes of people came to hear him speak. And then it says, on one of the days, as the people were gathering, he went up on a hill so that he could be seen and heard by all of them. And he began to speak these words. And Matthew chapter 5, we go through all these beautiful uh, bits of, of lifelong advice uh, that really just changed the way that people perceived God. People changed, that changed the way that people perceived Jesus at that moment into Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches them. And, and, and I, want you to, I want you to know here, I want you to, to, to remember here, Jesus is not just preaching to us in a circle. It wasn't the elite. It wasn't just the disciples. Jesus didn't send someone through the crowd to go, hey, can you make sure that everyone here this morning uh, that is listening to me um, has said this prayer or has prayed this pledge or has, has, has said whatever. Uh, can you, he didn't, he didn't do a stock take and go, hey, everyone in this room, okay, you half here and you half here. He's addressing the masses, the multitudes. And he teaches them what is now famously known as the Lord's Prayer. And again, we recite it, some of us daily, without much thought. But I want you to imagine the crowd. I want you to place yourself in the crowd, the multitudes, in a culture where, where Jesus has nearly started a riot for calling God his Father. And then he sits with these people and he says, When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he goes on. I, I, 
you know, this would be one of those days where, you know, when someone drops something so profound in a, in a message, not me, it's when we get a guest speaker in, but they drop something so profound and they keep preaching and, and you're sitting going, hang on, we'll go back, go back, go back. And you have to get the podcast because you go, I, I missed everything after that because I was just sitting on this. I was just sitting here uh, chewing on this and, and I never got past that. I imagine that's what it would have been like for some of the people hearing the Lord's Prayer, sitting in this place. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And he goes off and they're going, because they're caught. If it was controversial for one man to call God his Father, then how much more controversial is it for Jesus to address a crowd which would have not just had religious leaders in it, which would have had stragglers, which would have had, you know, just all these people. And, and, and Jesus says, He's your father too. He's your father too. Jesus is making this inclusive statement, bringing people together to say, when you pray, know that you pray to your father. Imagine what it would have been like to be in the crowd at that moment. Imagine what it would have been like to hear that revelation. The words Father God used together for the first time where we so often just rattle them off like um, or like a sentence pause or like a sentence enhancer. Imagine that moment. Jesus doesn't go around the crowd and say, you can call him dad, you can't call him dad, you can call him father, you can't call him father. He addressed the masses and said, call him father. Now today in our culture, we've, we've reformalized the word father. Like, like if, if you met a child who called their parents father and mother, you'd be reminded of some sort of old school Victorian, yes, father, no father, yes, mother, no mother. Um, it's, it's a formal word for us. And it was a respectful word even in the time, but it was a massive deformalizing of the character of God in that moment. You know, we use father uh, mostly now as a word used to describe a priest and not in a familiar way. And when I say familiar, I, I literally mean family ear, familiar. But we use it as a distance thing. When we talk about the, the father of the church or the father of the the. the you know, the priest or whatever. It's, it's, it's a distance statement. Whereas Jesus is saying to his people, call him father as a intimacy statement. Yeah. We often joke in the office. I, I know Tenika has a, has a pet peeve, um, you know, about daddy God when people pray and talk about daddy God. And, and I know me, me too. Like it makes me, I go, Oh, <laughs> but at the same time, the, the word that Jesus is using here, the Greek word is, is patia, which is, 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 a, is a closeness. It's a family. It would be more akin to our word today of dad. It would be more like, it would be closer than father to what we see that is today. And so Jesus is praying to his, is talking to his, his, the masses here, his disciples, the religious leaders who have come along because they keep coming to his sermons despite the fact that they don't like him. The stragglers, the, the passers by, and he says, he is your father too. Fathers were revered in the culture, probably more revered than they are today, but which is a challenge for another time. But this moment in Matthew chapter 6 was one of the greatest steps towards humanity that God could make in terms of vulnerability and being knowable. In the Old Testament, God was known as a father to the nation. But this was far more personal. God was making a deliberate step towards and inviting his people to take another step towards him. Because, of course, the immediate implication of God being a father 
was them being a son or a daughter. The immediate implication of God being my father means that I get to be his son. You get to be his son or his daughter. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. You know, over the last few weeks, it's um, it's been really hard to be a pastor. Uh, because being a father has been so constant. So constant. We we live in a a, a pretty small house comparatively. I, I often joke with people. We've got a, we've got this massive section and a, and a tiny house built on it, and uh, it's got really one living area, one study area, one eating area. It's all open plan. It's all in the same space, and so we're all in it like all the time. One of the reasons the sun's been so good is at least some people can be inside and some people can be outside. Uh, but over the last two to three weeks, and I, I'm sure some of you can relate to me in this, like it's just been constant. And I'm used to having having time without interruption. I'm used to having time to go and meditate or time to go and pray. And it's been really hard to find that time in, in, in this zone in the same way. Uh, and so I found it hard to be a pastor because I've been so busy being a father. Uh, and again, take my hat off to Emma who does it every single day. Um, but as we came up to Father's Day, I was able to, I, I guess, use this, use this busyness of, or the immediate presence of being a father, uh, to reflect on on what being a father has taught me about having a father. Sometimes it's when you become something that you suddenly appreciate what someone did for you. I remember uh, I, when I first became a youth pastor at, at um, Connected. For then as it was Blenheim Baptist Community Church. I remember becoming a youth pastor six months in. Uh, I remember ringing and apologizing to my previous youth pastor. Uh, I apologized for how critical I'd been, um, how impatient I'd been. You know, I've been one of those ones who just went, why doesn't he do this? Why don't they do this? Why is this always around? And six months in, when I was on the receiving end of that and also knew all the other things, becoming a youth pastor helped me to understand what my youth pastor was like and why that had struggled with the things that struggled with. And I had a whole new appreciation for his role because of the role I was taking on. Uh, I, as a parent now, I hear myself repeating sentences that my parents said to me when I was young. And at the time, I thought they were so unfair. I thought they were so unjust. And I was like, how can you say that? How can you talk like that? And, and now I hear them coming out of my own mouth. And I go, ah, oh, I get it now. I understand now. I'm sure I'm not the only one. And, and so as a parent now, God has been speaking to me, father to father, about what it means to be a child of God. The blessings and the expectations of that. So this morning, I want to share... Uh, what being a father has taught me about understanding my Heavenly Father. These things aren't in any particular order. Um, I also want to be clear this morning that God created us in His image and not the other way around. We don't create God in our image. So it's important that I don't read the way I parent into the way that God parents or the way that I've been parented, maybe the way you've been parented into the way that God parents. Uh there's plenty in my parenting that is not godly. And he's teaching me through that too. Uh, if you've had a negative experience of fatherhood, don't read that into how God is. But let the character of God this morning interpret what your experience should have been. So here we go. Here's six lessons. 
bam, bam, bam. The first one, I, I've shared this before, but it's so good i got to say it again, is, is that, that God collaborates with us. God collaborates with us. A father collaborates with his children. Some, some of you know that I'm a, a little bit of a uh, perfectionist when it comes to certain things. Um, and I have a prayer journal. I actually have two prayer journals. I have one that I, I write in and I, I, I scribble in and it's brainstorming. It's usually the one I, I take up the hill with me when I go to pray at, at the park. And, and all these, and then the things that are good out of it, uh, I come home and I write down in my neatly published prayer journal because I want it to look pretty. And I, I figure if I was to... If I was to, you know, live to some good old age and, and keep all of these things and I was to die and someone was to go through my belongings and go, oh, we found the pastor's prayer journal. I, w- I want it to be, A, readable and, and B, pretty. Like, maybe it's an insecurity thing, but, like, uh, the draft one is, like, if you read it, we go, like, the, these are the ramblings of a madman. <laughs> these these are the thoughts of, of someone who was actually crazy. And so I have a I have a draft prayer journal and I have a published prayer journal and and so often the things that get hit in the pub and the draft one don't always make it to the published one but the stuff that's really God uh, tends to get through into the second journal and one day I was sitting at home at my table here and as I was writing things into my published prayer journal uh, my daughter my oldest daughter Taya comes along and she's got crayons and pencils and whatever and she wants to draw in the corner on the on the other page of my neat published prayer journal and i'm like here you can draw in this one i've got my draft why don't you draw no no i want to draw in that one i want to draw in that one and and i'm at this place where i have to make a decision as a father of what is more important to me you know and there's times where you say no 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 this is dad's book and this is dad's rules and and whatever but at at that moment i just went you know what i'm gonna let her draw in it and so taya drew i can't remember and then i started drawing in and we as well and, and we both drew these pictures that look like the ramblings of a madman and his daughter uh on 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 the pages of my good prayer journal my published prayer journal the one that that's supposed to be inspirational to me and hopefully maybe to other people and used to come who knows but we're scribbling in it and as i wrote and i was just going god what, what is this about what are we doing i wrote in the margin of that page collaboration because i realized at that moment i was letting my daughter, Taya, draw in my book for her benefit. Not for mine. I wasn't getting anything out of it. But she was drawing closer to me. And she was developing. And she was learning to draw. And as she was starting to copy my doodles, uh, her doodles were, were, were getting more and more visible and less like scribbles. Now, I'm not saying my doodles are any good either. So, you know, But they were getting better. Now she can draw better than, than I ever could. But in that moment, in that place... I was collaborating with my daughter for her benefit. And this is what I learned. God, the Father, collaborates with us. He uses us. He calls us. He puts us into families as as parents and as children. He puts us into businesses. He puts us into church. He puts us into ministry to collaborate with Him. Not for His benefit, but for my benefit and for your benefit that we might grow, that we, our image might become more like his image. Now, Acts chapter 17, verse 24 to 25, Paul's preaching to the church at Athens, and he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and of earth, and he does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. 
if you're, if you're watching this this morning, the most humbling thing, but also the most freeing thing that you could possibly know is that God uses you for your benefit, not because he needs you. And, and that's not a, that's not to say you're, you're useless, you're worthless, but it's to say you're free from the performance driven anxiety of going, if I don't, if this doesn't happen, God says, I invite you to collaborate because it grows you. I remember listening to Brooke Turner. Uh, from Vision West talking about when he first started, they planted a church and he was involved in it and all these things happened and he got to the end and he had all these expectations of what might have been and should have been and what wasn't. And, 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 and God said, you don't, you don't think I put you there to grow the church, do you? I put you there to grow you. And the byproduct of you growing is that other people would grow. And, and I remember hearing that and going, man, how often do we make God's story about us? When it's never about us. A good father collaborates with their children. And God collaborates with his people. But he doesn't do it for his benefit. He does it for your growth. And your development. And I understood that better than ever before. When I became a parent. You know, Emma would start to, you know, you, you go to make dinner. And, and, you know, one of Taylor's favorite things is to make the toasted sandwiches. And she goes, can I help? And you're like, well, the answer to that is really no, because by coming in and helping, it's going to take at least 15 to 20 minutes longer. But the answer is also yes, because if you come in and you engage with this and we participate in this, we're going to bond. You're going to learn a skill. You know, I love the picture uh, that Nedra sent through a couple of weeks ago of um, of Ben peeling the potatoes. He wants to peel the potatoes. It would have been faster for Gordon to peel the potatoes. But Gordon understands something in that moment of the Father heart of God that a parent collaborates with their children for their benefit. The second thing that being a father has taught me about having a father is that I don't tell my children everything. I don't tell my children everything. My oldest, Taylor, is, is going through a Y phase at the moment. If you've got children, you, you know the Y phase. Like, you, you know the Y phase. <laughs> And it's like everything is just why, why this, why that, why that, and then you explain why, and they go, but why, but why that, and then and then why that? Well, because this, and because what? Because they want to get right back to this. So Taya's gone through this phase. Why, 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 why? And and, and many of the questions that that that, that Taya asks, the why questions, are good why questions. But some of the why questions are questions that you end up saying, I'll tell you when you're older, or I'll tell you another day, whatever it may be. Some of the things that Taya wants to know why are not appropriate for her age and her stage. You know, again, when I was young, because I told you so was never an acceptable answer for me. You know, with your mum or your dad, you'd say, why? And they go, because I told you so. And you'd be like, I don't, don't want to know that. I, I want, no, no, give me the reason. Give me the unpacking. But there are some things now that I understand that simply don't need to be said or explained. You know, Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, all scripture is equally God-inspired. But not all scripture is equally applicable. And we we would reject that at first, because we can know all the scripture. But we understand that although all scripture is equally God-inspired, it is not all scripturally equally applicable. Because we don't teach our children the Song of Solomon in the Sunday school. And if you do stop, like <laughs> if you if any of our Sunday school teachers are teaching Song of Solomon in the children's church, don't do it. <laughs> stop it. It's, it's for later. Uh, I, I was reading an article on Desiring God recently, um, the, the website, and it talks about Corrie ten Boom and her book, The Hiding Place. 
And it says she, she recalls a time where she was asking her own father. She was going through the why, the why phase. And she asked her father about a word that she'd heard in a poem that was too, too, far too adult for her. She says, so dad, dad, what does this word mean? And her dad paused and he thought, and then he took his heavy suitcase down from the train they were riding. And he said to her, can you carry that suitcase off the train for me? She stood up, she tried to pick it up, she tried to lift it, to tip it, but it was so full, he was a watchmaker, and so it was full with all these equipment and all these everything, and it was too heavy for her to carry. And she said to her dad, she said, it's too heavy, daddy. And he said, yes. And it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Kyrie, with, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. A good father doesn't tell his children everything. And as I've learned to follow God, as I've learned to be okay with, with the mystery of God, I have learned that there are some things that God does not tell me. And he doesn't do it to be cruel. He doesn't do it to be unkind. He does it, A, to actually be gracious. I, let me tell you something. If God had told me what my first six years of ministry would have looked like, I'm, I'm six, seven years in, I'm looking back now. If God had told me at the beginning, hey, in the next six years, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to go through this, 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 I would run a mile. I'd have got back in my car, I'd have gone back to Invercargill, and I said, no, thank you. This job that I have in the bank that I don't particularly like is just fine for me. <laughs> if God had told me what he was going to do with my life, if he told me everything that was going to transpire, everything that was going to happen to me and, and, and through me and, and the difficulties of that, and even some of the, the terrifying successes, I'd have run a mile. A good father does not tell their children everything. You know, I, I remember talking with someone else in our congregation who had been following Jesus. Uh, they come through a really a pr pretty traumatic upbringing. And, and in the, the early days of, of their, their relationship with God, Everything he said to them was positive. Everything he said to them was loving. Everything he said to them was kind. Uh, and, and, and you could see exactly why, what God was doing. Because God was rewriting their story, rewriting the tape that they played in their head about themselves. And they came to me after being a Christian for about three years. And they went, God gave me my first uppercut today. He really hit me with like con the conviction of the Holy Spirit and said, you got to stop doing this. Three years God spent putting into that person, teaching them about his love and his grace and his character before introducing, going, hey, now we're going to talk about this. And it's not that God's hiding a part of his character. It's that God wants you to understand his justice in light of his mercy and his grace. So a good father doesn't tell his children everything. But equally, a good father doesn't send his children into situations unequipped with the knowledge that they will need. Now, as Taya's getting ready, she's coming up five, and we're starting to look at what school we send her to. You become aware that that not every family that and not every child that Taya's going to associate with and, and, and all these sorts of things, we're, we're probably not going to put Taya into a Christian school. That's not because we have anything against Christian schools. That's just not where we're feeling led. And so we're aware that... And, and, the reality is even probably in a Christian school, that not every child that she's going to come into contact with is going to have the same family values. Now, if I don't equip her for that, she's going to enter into a situation and she's going to go, this is not what I thought the world was like. Daddy told me the world was like this. and that. So we're starting now to introduce little bits of information that will be helpful to her. 
to go, you know, actually, you know, some of the things that, that you see on the news, now we don't get into that, but different things you hear, actually, not everybody's nice. But that doesn't change who we are. So God doesn't tell, a good father doesn't tell his children everything, but he always gives them what they need to be equipped. Listen to this in Acts chapter 1, verse 7 to 8. This is before Jesus is ascended. He's talking to his disciples. And they're asking him about the end of the world. They're asking him about the, the end times and the, the restoration of the kingdom and all these sorts of things. And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love this. Jesus says, it's not for you to know, but you will receive. In other words, Jesus is saying, there are some things you don't need to know, but I will give you everything you need to do what I'm calling you to do right now. We talked about that a little bit last week when we were talking about anticipating Jesus. So God collaborates. A good father collaborates with his children. A good father doesn't tell their children everything. Thirdly, a, cho- a, a, good, a good father, hang on, I want to get this one right. A loving father has hope for his children's character over their performance. One of the longest debates in human philosophy, whether you're whether it's a Bible college, whether it's just, and I think we all wonder this sometimes, the longest debate in human philosophy is whether there is a perfect destiny for me. You know, is, is, there, is there such thing as a soulmate? Is there such thing as, as, a, as a perfect path? Is there such thing as a plan that's not for my life? And, and so on and so forth. And I grew up most of my life feeling like there was only one perfect path I could take. I grew up feeling like if I missed it, I would miss the intended path of my life forever. Have you ever felt like that? You go, if I don't get on that, if I don't, you know, if this doesn't happen, then what does my whole life look like? And, it, and for me, it created a level of anxiety because I started to look at myself and every little decision to go, what about this? What about that? You know, my mum can tell you as a kid growing up, I was, the, I was the kid who wanted to know the outcome before I made the decision. The problem with taking a risk is sometimes you don't know the outcome before you've made the decision. I remember a particularly, looking back, a small issue that felt like a massive issue for me. I was about 18 years old and I, I was living in Blenheim uh, and my, my now beautiful wife Emma, we were married at that stage, she was studying in Invercargill and I was facing the choice of, of whether to move down to Invercargill, you know, we've been apart for a year, we've done a year's long distance, we figured well this seems to be going the distance, pardon the pun. Um, so I had the decision to move down there or to stay and, and to continue to be a part of the wonderful things that God was doing at Blenheim Baptist at that time in my life. And I had to choose between, the, and, I, and I remember going, it felt like I was choosing between sunshine and rain. It felt like I was choosing between love and loneliness. It felt like, I, you know, I weighed up the pros and cons. I did this, I, you know, and just every part of me was going, which of these decisions? God, what is the decision? And at that time, I had three different people come to me who didn't know each other, who didn't, one, probably one, maybe two of them knew my situation, but there was at least one. No, I'd say two of them who didn't know enough. Uh, about what I was going through. And, and the, the word they had for me was all exactly the same. And it was, actually, it's like there's a picture and there's two paths in front of you. And God is asking you which path you would like to take. 
and he promises that he will be on either of the paths. And I remember this really messing with my understanding of God uh, and my perfect destiny, his perfect will. Um, you know, what if I put a foot wrong? What if I made the wrong decision? What if I, what if I moved to Invercargill and missed what God was doing in Blenheim? What if I stayed in Blenheim and missed what God had for me in Invercargill? And I, I don't just mean Emma. Um, yeah, I, I used to read, like, seriously, I was the kid who read those pick a path books. You remember that, like, whether it was Goosebumps or, or you know, the Christian alternative. Um, you know, and, and you, so if you want to make this decision, turn to page, whatever you want to make this decision, turn to, and, and I used to read those going, what decision is the author intending that I make? <clears throat> you know, what, what does the author want me to do? <laughs> like, it sounds crazy, but this was the level of my perfectionism. What way does God want me to go? Which is the canon story? And I just remember not being really sure, but then one of the verses that I come across and Proverbs says, the mind of a man plans his path. The mind of a person plans their path, but the Lord directs their steps. And so I remember feeling like, actually, I, I got the choice in this moment. Now, now I'm not discounting calling. I'm not saying that there aren't times that you, that you miss God. Uh, but I think that we, we put this emphasis sometimes on something that maybe God Oh, sorry, I, th I think we put all this emphasis on something, on the character of God, that maybe he's not that hot on. As a father, one of the questions that I love to ask often, not, not as a precious statement, just as a creative statement, uh, is what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Here's, here's a bunch of answers that I've had from Taylor, legitimate answers. A doctor, a teacher, a pastor, an astronaut. A paleontologist, a barista, an artist, a singer, a mum. And I've never thought once to myself, sincerely, and never as a father have I thought, that's a terrible idea. That's a horrible idea. I, I, I've never said to Taya, no, 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 you really want to be a doctor. Or, or, look, you can do whatever you want, but you need to earn at least 70k a year. Like, I, that's never been on my heart. It's never been any of my general, uh, genuine expectations for her. What I do want for my children, and I pray this, and I encourage them in it every day, as often as I can, is that whatever you end up doing, you know, you become a, you become a doctor, you become a barista, you become a, a, a full-time mum, you become an artist, you become a singer, you become a YouTuber, you become a whatever. Whatever you end up doing, make sure you respect yourself. Make sure you respect others. Make sure you represent our family name well. And make sure that you honor God in all of it. See, sometimes we think that God is so concerned about what we do. But one of the things that I've learned as a father is I am far more concerned with how my daughter does it. Who she is, not what she does. A good father has hope for his children's character over their performance. And if you're worried that God, as a father figure, is standing over you, measuring your performance constantly, daily, all these sorts of things, I want you to know God is concerned with your character. Man looks at the outer appearance, Samuel tells us, but God looks at the heart. Run out of time.
Number four, a loving parent dispenses justice and mercy. A loving father dispenses justice and mercy. See, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what you deserve. Now, <laughs> I'm sure, and I, like, you know, we could start a fight here. I'm sure I'm not the only one in our family, or the only family, shall I say, who's ever experienced this difficulty. The tension of justice and mercy in the family home, especially between parents. I guarantee you, one of the biggest things you will argue about as a mom and a dad is the justice and mercy division. All right. There's been so many times where Emma has been patient and gentle and loving and kind and, and you know, like, Taya won't eat her beans or, or whatever. And, 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 you know, Taya's been, Emma's got all this time and I'm like, just like send her to her room or do this or do do whatever. You know, I'm, she's the mercy path. I'm, I'm the justice path. Like, let's get this done. There's also been plenty of times uh, where mum's laid down the law and mum's gone, no, 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 this is, this is what it is and this is how it is. And five minutes later, Taya and I are eating ice cream on the couch. And now I'm in trouble too. <laughs> uh, see, I'm a, I'm a sucker for telling Taya that she can't have dessert because of her behavior or because of whatever, and then sharing a big bowl of ice cream with her when she's finally done as she was asked. I'm inconsistent in that regard. In Jonah, in the book of Jonah, God sends his messenger to the people in Nineveh to say that he's going to destroy their city because of their sin. I'm going to destroy, I'm going to send the judgment. I'm going to bring the justice as your father right now. And the response of the people is to repent and to pray for forgiveness. And the Bible says in very spiritual words, God relented the calamity he had planned. One translation says, God changed his mind. Now that's a theological conversation for a real interesting day. See, sometimes I'm inconsistent. Sometimes I'm just, sometimes I'm merciful. Sometimes I'm too merciful. Sometimes I'm too just. Maybe you feel the same with your kids. Maybe you go, oh, I've been too hard on them. I really felt that the first week of lockdown. I was just too hard on the kids. And so the second week I went, I'm going to be, too, I'm going to be way more merciful on the kids this week. We've just come into week three. I think I've got it about right now. But it's inconsistent. There are times where I follow through, through with the consequences. Parenting coaches will probably email me and tell me I'm being inconsistent. But actually, I've seen kids who grow up in consistent justice. I've seen the effect that has on them. And I've seen kids that have grown up in consistent mercy with no justice. And I've seen the effect that that's had. And I'll take the inconsistent parenting journey every time because a good father dispenses justice and mercy. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14 to 15 says, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he does wrong, I'll discipline him in the usual ways, the pitfalls and the obstacles of his mortal life. But I will never remove my gracious love from him. I love this. I will be a father, and he will be a son. When he does wrong, I'll discipline him, but I'll never remove my grace from him. A loving father dispenses justice and mercy. I'm going to leave the last two out because actually I feel that they just build on what we've already talked about. But if I, if I could summarize those points, as, as I've looked and as I've learned, like I said at the beginning of this, becoming a father has helped me to understand something more about the father heart of God towards me. In the same way that becoming a youth pastor 
help me to understand my youth pastor. And father to father, these are four things that God has taught me about, yes, my parenting, but also what I think God wants to know, wants us to know about him while we go through lockdown, while we live out our Christian faith, while we grow in him. Number one, a loving father collaborates with his children for their benefit. God is working with you for your growth, for your development. The Bible says that the work that he has started, he is faithful to carry it on until the day of completion. Number two, a loving father does not tell his children everything. But he does it out of grace and he gives them everything that they need to do what they need to do at the time. Number three, a loving father has hope for his children's character over their performance. God is not leaning over your shoulder today going, did you succeed here? Did you fail here? Are you good at this? Are you good at that? He's not, he's not measuring your performance. He's measuring your character. Because if you get your character right, then wherever you end up, whatever you do, godly righteousness will flow into it. And number four, a loving father dispenses justice and mercy. Your God as your father will dispense justice in your life. He will rebuke you. He will convict you. He will correct you. But he does it because he wants you to grow. And he will never, in that same promise as we read before in Samuel, he will discipline us, but he never removes his gracious love. If your experience of God is a God who is either just or, or merciful, then this morning be blessed to know that God is just and merciful at the same time. And I don't know how to do that perfectly, but he does. And so as we celebrate Father's Day today, as you, as you, if you're a father this morning, as you are celebrated, as you celebrate and as you remember your father, take also a moment to think about God, our father, who Jesus says we get to draw close to. We get to call on him as our father. And may that bless you to walk differently with God today and tomorrow and for the rest of your Christian walk. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you this morning that you are a good, good father as we've sung. Lord, I've heard a thousand stories. I've seen a thousand representations in church and in community and in the media of, of what people think you're like. But Lord, when you sent your son into to our world to model what you were like, the image and the word that Jesus used was father. And so Lord, I pray this morning that we would know you as a good father, that we would know you as one who collaborates, that we would know you as, as one who, who has hopes for our character, as we would know you uh, as, as one who, who inter intercedes for us, who believes in us, who cheers us on from the sideline, who turns up at every game. Lord, if it hasn't been our experience of earthly fatherhood, Lord, I pray that our experience of our heavenly father would exceed every expectation. And I pray that your example of fatherhood would inspire those of us who are fathers this morning to love, to parent, to equip, to collaborate like you do with your creation, with our own children. And we pray, as Bex prayed in her prayer, that you would have a good Father's Day today, that we would honor you and adore you and celebrate you today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.